Welcome to the Lakeside Baptist Church Podcast. We pray you are blessed as you hear the Word of God today. For more information regarding Lakeside Baptist Church, please visit lakeside.asn.au. For that devotional thought and some reflection there, wasn't it great they gave him an undersized shirt and then a whole heap of lollies. Uh, I'm not sure how that works, but anyway, which one do they want? No, that's fine, thanks. I'll leave it there. Sorry. Also, I don't know if you noticed, Brandon, who's an incredible musician, was using this little... Um, did you see how it's smaller? I thought it was a ukulele, but it's actually just called... I was like, Brandon, what's the actual musical term? Tiny guitar. Um, so there you go. If you're wondering what it is, it's a tiny guitar. Um, same octave, different tone is what he said. Is that right? Man, I'm learning some musical words. Let me pray and we will start. Most gracious Father, we thank you that we can gather this morning. Uh, as we've already heard, you are a good, good Father. And uh, Lord, we pray right now as we study your word, uh, new series, new book, your spirit would really open our minds and hearts to what you have to teach us this morning. Father, we believe that you're a God that still communicates to us through your spirit, through your word, through, through other people and all that kind of stuff. So, Lord, we come with open and expecting hearts and ready to learn and to apply. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. I was uh, meeting with my supervisor this week, uh, who actually is in Brisbane. And so we meet via Zoom and we talk about a whole uh, range of different things. And uh, we were talking about life uh, and different priorities. Anyway, he he gave me this incredibly good illustration. And he talked about how life is really about juggling a whole heap of balls. That as you go through life, you're juggling different aspects. You've got work, you've got money, you've got kids, you've got life. If you're a Christian, you've got your relationship with Jesus, you've got Facebook, you've got all these things that you're sport and leisure and health and fitness, and you're juggling all these different things in life. I don't know if that's what your life feels like. Uh, Maybe you feel like you've got too many balls to juggle. Uh, You probably do have too many balls to juggle because generally what happens is we, we do. We juggle too many balls. And I was like, you know, come on, this... I'm paying you $300 an hour and you're giving me this whole juggle analogy. You've got to give me a bit more than that. Um, and then he st- said something really, really interesting. He said, the thing about these balls that we're juggling, Anthony, he says, some of them are made out of different materials. He says, some of the balls, in fact, the majority of the balls are actually made out of rubber. And so you can juggle these balls. And actually, if you let these balls drop, guess what? They bounce straight back up. And in fact, if you let them drop, they might bounce, 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 bounce. And then sometimes you can go back and pick them up. But these balls are made out of rubber uh, and, and they're not as important. But then he says, some of the balls that you're juggling are made out of glass. And I'm like, right, this is getting interesting. This is worth the $300. Okay, some balls are made out of rubber. And if we move and we drop them, they bounce straight back up or they bounce and nothing really happens. Uh, Like if I stop looking on Facebook, nothing's going to really change. You know, even work some things if I, you know, I could probably get a job maybe somewhere else. You know, the ball bounces back up. But he said some things or some of the balls that we're juggling are actually made out of glass. Now, I'm not going to tell you what those things are, but you probably could think about what they are in your own life. And he says, they're the things that actually, 
If you drop, they break. If you stop juggling these because you're worried about all these rubber balls, actually, when you drop these ones, there's damage. They can shatter, they can chip, they can cause pain, they can cause uh, distress and harm. And he says, and the key is, and, and what we tend not to do, is we focus on juggling all the balls instead of making sure that we don't drop the glass ones. And then the internet stopped. Boom. And I was like, come on, you got it. Broke. Like, he froze. And this is serious. He froze. And I'm like, you got it. And he had to redial, get back, and he kind of lost the point of what he was saying. But I was like, oh, is there any more? He's like, no, that's it. What are the glass balls in your life? Because I know there's times in my life I've been so consumed with these silly rubber balls and I've let a few of these ones drop. I've let a few of these glass ones drop, which again, they break. They're harder to put back together. Misplaced priorities. Misplaced priorities. And this morning, I want us to keep that analogy of rubber balls and glass balls in our mind and be even asking the question, what are the glass balls in my life? Am I running around trying to keep up these rubber ones while these glass ones are almost falling and maybe I've dropped them a few times? Because the book we look at this morning is Haggai. Now, Haggai doesn't use that illustration or analogy in the book, uh, but actually I think it's a pretty good summary of what he is saying. He says to the people, this book was written some 2,000 plus years ago. 2,000 plus years ago, this book was written uh, to a group of people, the Israelites, uh, by a prophet speaking on behalf of God, and actually it speaks to us today. 100%. When we start reading, you're going to say, wow, this actually speaks to us as well. Because it's a book about misplaced priorities. It's a book about juggling everything else and forgetting about what is really, really important. So this morning, we're going to start this series in Haggai. It is only two chapters uh, long. And we're actually going to take four series or four weeks to actually look at the book of Haggai. It's the second shortest book in the Old Testament. Um, It's written uh, by this prophet, or it's about a prophet named Haggai. Prophet is someone who speaks on behalf of God. Now, last year, uh, we looked at the book of Nehemiah. Now, Nehemiah actually comes, hands up if you remember that sermon series. Hands up if you enjoyed that sermon series. Oh, gee, your hands just went down. No, no, it's all right. Glass board, no. So, so Nehemiah actually came about 70, 80 years after sorry, Haggai. So we're kind of going back into the story, but you may be able to figure it all out in your head how it's all working. So let me give you some background of Haggai before we actually get into the, the story because the story moves really, really quick. Again, the background into the book, you may know, remember why uh, the Israelites, uh, most of the prophets before Haggai would come and they would warn the people of God, warn Israel that if they do not turn, if they don't change their behaviour, if they don't stop worshipping false gods or gods from other nations, if they don't start to live the way God has called them to live, they will be in trouble. That an impending doom was coming, uh, they didn't listen, they got warned, God's patient was slowly being worn out and we know what 
happened, they were taken into exile by the then superpowers, the Babylonians. They come in, they were a brutal regime. They came in and they just cleaned everything up. They ruined Jerusalem. They took down the, the, the city of Jerusalem. They destroyed the temple. Now, in Jewish thought and Jewish understanding, the temple, again, is where God dwelt. God actually physically was there. God's presence was in the temple. And therefore, if the temple wasn't there, that means their relationship had been broken. Where is God in all of this? And so the Babylonians, again, the superpower of the day, come down. They destroy the city of Jerusalem. They destroy the people of Israel. They take a a heap of them back up to Babylon to be slaves. Now, this is where we get to the book of Haggai. Seventy years have gone past now. 70 years that they have been in Babylon. There's been a change of world superpowers. The Babylonians have just been overthrown recently by the Persians. Here's an interesting thing in history. Uh, there's, you, you, your, a kingdom cannot last forever. God's kingdom does. But kingdoms jump and change. There's superpowers one day and they're no longer the superpower the next day. Whether it's God or whether it's arrogance, whatever it is, the Babylonians are no longer the superpower. They got taken over by the Persians and the Persians are now in charge. And actually the Persians aren't as bad as the Babylonians. They allow them to worship their God. In fact, the king says you can go back to Jerusalem And a remnant of about 50,000 of them went back to Jerusalem with the goal to start up the city again. But the main goal was to rebuild the temple. So about 50,000 of them head down under the leadership of uh, Zerubbabel and um, Joshua. They head down to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. Hopes are high, the future looks bright And then we hit the book of Haggai. According to Haggai, it doesn't look that bright. So let's have a read of Haggai chapter 1, and we're going to immerse ourselves in the text. Hopefully this will work. Aaron, if you could just turn it, that would be great. So here we go, verse 1. It says, In the second year of King Jurius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Again, Haggai is a prophet. God speaks through Haggai. To Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, son of, uh, uh, someone came to me before church and he said, I read, I read, um, I read uh, Haggai as Leanne asked us to read it. Oh, all those funny names at the start. I said, don't worry about the funny names. You just, you sound confident. If you sound confident, people think you know what you're talking about, although I just stuffed it up then. Uh, Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shetolio, whatever his name is, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Now, actually, those two guys are really important, Zerubbabel and Joshua. Zerubbabel was kind of the political leader. He was the governor. Joshua was the high priest. And so Haggai speaks to the political leader and the spiritual leader. Why? Because the people of Israel are a theocracy. A theocracy means they take what God is saying and then they implement that in the way they live in their social structures in their society. Do we live in a theocracy now? No. We live in a democracy. It's a lot different. And and I want to be clear on this point. Sometimes, as Christians, we think we are supposed to be living in a theocracy. And we think that our job is to tell everyone else how to live. Well, actually, no. We do not live in a theocracy. If you want to live in a theocracy, then you go to... uh, I'm trying to think of an Islamic country... uh, Sorry? 
Iran, yes, is probably a theocracy. They have the imams and they influence and they talk and that's how they rule that country. Australia is not a theocracy. Australian may be Christian in, in, in its beginning and all that kind of stuff, but we're not a theocracy. We live in a democracy, which means everyone is allowed to have a voice. Now, here's the tension as, as, as Christians and, and as, as a church. Even though we live in this democracy, sometimes the church is called to have a prophetic voice and speak into the society it lives in and say, and say hey, if, if we continue to go like this, this could be bad news. And so as a, having a prophetic voice also means that we're to advocate uh, for, for the marginalised, for the people that do not have a voice. But our role isn't to change society and make it uh, politically Christian so that we could be more comfortable. That's not what we're meant to do. Our role is to tell people about Jesus and have their lives transformed and then through those lives, people's other lives are transformed. Can you see the difference? But if we go back to here in Israel's time, they, it is a theocracy. And so what God says goes. And so Haggai speaks to both Joshua and Zerubbabel, the political leader and the spiritual leader. And this is what he says. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Again, through Haggai, these people say the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. What's the Lord's house? The Lord's house is the temple. He says the time has not come for the Lord's house to be built. Some interesting words there. Again, this is God speaking and he uses the term these people. Now, we could just read over that, but actually that's quite strong language. Because whose people are they? Yep, God's people. Remember, it's a theocracy. These are God's people. How is God referring to these people? These people. So it's a pretty good indicator that God is not happy with them. So it's like when you come home and you say to your husband and your wife, these children of yours, or these, you don't say mine. He doesn't say my people, they are his people. So God is not happy here. You only say my children when they're getting a merit certificate or <laughs> when they've done well or they've given you a card with a, a dog on the front. Otherwise, it's someone else's children. God says right here, these people say, and, and that is not a good indicator. God is not happy with these people. And why isn't he happy? He says, the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. Really? It's been 18 years. They've been in Jerusalem for 18 years. So, so they left Babylon, the Persian superpower, released them. Their goal was to come down and what? Build the house of God, the temple of God. 18 years have gone past and they haven't built it. In fact, they haven't done anything for the past 14 years. First couple of years, they built the foundation. They put a, a kind of half-hearted altar together just to put some sacrifices when they're feeling guilty. So they put a foundation down and that was it. For the last 14 years, they haven't built anything. My daughter, Michaela, my, my second oldest child, she turned 14 on Thursday. 14. So, so it's like her whole life 
If she was living in Jerusalem during that period, she'd be like, oh, what's that foundation there? We, she wouldn't have seen me work there. She wouldn't have seen anyone else work there. She wouldn't have thought, I wonder where, you know, that she would have thought, when are they going to finish that? She wouldn't have seen anyone doing anything on that block of land because for 14 years they did nothing. For 14 years they just, she would have walked past it on the way to school. She would have said, oh, gee, that block's just the foundation, nothing else. wonder when they're going to finish that. That's how long... They have wasted. So what is God saying? His language is really interesting, almost sarcastic in some ways. They started when they first arrived. They got discouraged. There was a lack of focus. There was a lack of uh, energy. They were distracted. The foundation of the temple was there, but that was it. 18 years they'd been there. We get distracted really easy. Especially, I think, when it comes to doing the things of God. During the week, I was putting this sermon together and um, I was, I've had lots to do and uh, I was working at home. Or I was, the, the idea was to put some of the sermon together at home. Siobhan had gone out with the kids and I was sitting at the table and I turned on the computer and I started thinking and reading and the first 15, 20 minutes, I'm like, man, this sermon is gold. It's going to be, everything was starting to flood to me and I'm like, the structure and I'm starting to understand it all. And I thought, I've been pretty good. I need a break. Okay, I need a break. I, I, I've got my thoughts together. Boom, I'll just check out Facebook. And I'm flicking through Facebook. And then it, they were talking on the videos about the mark of the year, AFL mark of the year. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Let's see who, who's the candidates. And I start looking. I'm looking for Liam Ryan because he's a West Coast Eagle. And then all of a sudden, top 50 marks of the past 20 years. Have to watch it. So I'm watching the top 50 marks for the past 100 years, 20 years, and that, that takes a while because you replay some and you start analysing and think, oh, that one's probably better. Anyway, I look up, it's 11 o'clock. Two hours have gone by. Two hours, I'm like, man. And all I knew was the top, the top 50 people had marked in the last 20 years. I don't know if that's ever happened to you. It might not be on Facebook, it might be something else. You start, you have good intentions, uh, you, you go and boom, you're distracted and then boom, time has gone. I see a lot of people going like this. <laughs> 18 years. They started, two years, pretty good, pretty productive and then they went on Facebook and they've been distracted for the last 14 years, lost. They get caught in the routine of life, farming, building houses, raiding, uh, raising families, all those types of things. They got to, used to life without a temple. And again, this is almost a paradox. They got used, for, for the Jewish people, the temple was, that's what it was. That symbolised their relationship with God. Yet they were used to the fact, well, at least there's a little altar table there. And when we feel bad, we can, we can make a sacrifice. They got used to it. And not only that, I think, if we look at the language there, I don't know if I'm reading into it too much, but I actually think they're over-spiritualising the reason why. They haven't built it. They know they have to build it. They didn't say, we're not going to build the temple. Look at the language they use. They say, this is what the, so the, the language is. These people say, the time has not yet come. Isn't that a real spiritual term? It's not the right season. I don't want to run ahead of God. I don't think you're going to run ahead of God. It's been 14 years since you did anything. 
And so what they are doing here, they're almost spiritualizing or, or coming up with a spiritual response. That spiritual response is, uh, um, oh, the season is not quite right. And we do that as well. So one of the things I think we, we, we tend to struggle with is when it comes to discerning God or what he's calling us to do, we always, most time, this may be generalizing, we tend to say, you don't want to run ahead of God, don't we? Don't run ahead of God. Don't run ahead of God like you, like you have to wait for God. Like God's going to have to catch up to you because you, you know, you're, so, you're a pioneer. And all Generally, it's the other way around. Generally, it's the fact that God is out there and we're too slow to respond. And what we tend to do is say it's not the right season. I don't know how many, I've done that numerous times out of fear. When God has called me to do something, my response, I don't think this is the right timing. No, you're just scared. Absolutely, it's the right timing. Absolutely. Now, hear me. There is a, we have to discern whether it is the right time or the right season. But again, overall, I think generally we tend to be too far behind God. God's like, come on. We actually think it's the other way around. Come on, God, keep up. And so we warn, don't run ahead of God. But actually, it's probably the other way around. And so they've also spiritualized their response. Time's not right. Time's not right. Season's not right. Why? Because this is an excuse. This is an excuse. Now, I could blame Facebook for getting me to watch the top 100 marks over the 20 years, but that would be an excuse. It was my fault. I chose to go down that line. I chose to watch those videos. There's some great marks, though. Um, there were there's some excellent marks. But that was my choice. And then we see in verse 3, if you flick over there, you'll see in verse 3, God asks a penetrating question. A penetrating question. Look what God says, again, through Haggai. So he said, oh, you, you keep saying there's no time to build the temple. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for, your, for yourselves to be living in your panelled houses while this house remains in ruins? Let me read it again. Uh, then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your panelled houses while these, uh, this house, the, the temple, my house, remains in a ruin? So what is God saying? This is an incredibly penetrating question. He's saying, your houses all look nice. Panelled housing means, it's not like they just had average shelter. What, what God is saying is, you've, you've, got, you've had renovations, you've got air conditioning, you've got beautiful marble floors and the top of the range uh, dish, um, dishwasher and foxtail. And your houses are looking smick. The lawns are great. The garden is manicured. Everything looks great about your house. Is it time that your houses get done? Well, my house has only got a foundation. Now, we know the answer to that, aren't we? But he's pointing out misplaced priorities. He's saying, you've been juggling these rubber balls while this glass ball, the relationship that you have with me, is on the ground. 
You've made your concern and your comfort and your material possessions a higher priority than me. Isn't it a penetrating question? That they ignored the fact that God's temple had not been rebuilt. On their way to Bunnings, they would have gone past the fact, they would have gone past God's half-built temple. They probably would have looked like that as they went to Bunnings and bed, shed and all those types of things. And they would have maybe justified it. You know, as, as we started building the temple, God, it was, you know, first two years we got foundation and things, but then, you know, we got discouraged, we lost focus and, and, and we got distracted because I had to build my own house because I was living in this shack of a house and the next door neighbor's house where well, he started renovating and making it bigger and you should see the chariot at the front of his, in his driveway, wow. It's like, um, I don't know how many horsepower, four, five, six horsepower. It's huge. And so then I had to get one, so I had to spend money on that. And, and they would have justified all of that all the way, all the time, knowing that they had drifted away, that they'd been juggling these rubber balls. And God says, boom. How dare you, he says. I don't have a, anything in my house, and your house is immaculate. Misplaced priority. Misplaced priority. The people said that there wasn't time to rebuild the temple, but their actions said that it was time to live in their nice, rebuilt home. Now, does that mean you can't have a nice house? This is not what God is saying. The, the, the point is this, that the temple is in ruins. And the real problem is not that God's people lived in panelled houses, but they lived in such personal comfort and luxury while the temple was in ruins. And that they get to the point where they can justify and not feel bad about it. That's even worse. That we feel like, oh, it's okay. And as a responsibility as Christians, uh, in the way we live, the fact that we've received his grace, that should have an impact and affect the way we live. The way we treat other people. The way we respond uh, think about the temple again. For the, for the Jewish people, the, the temple, as a temple lies in ruins, the temple is evidence, and we've gone through this even with the, the story of Nehemiah, of, of God's presence. That God is amongst them. The temple symbolizes this presence, both uh, symbolically, the fact that it's there, but also it symbolizes the commitment of the people to God. And they've forgotten about that. God says, put first things first. Now, here's the question. Do you, have you, any misplaced priorities? Are there any glass balls that you need to, <laughs> to pick up? <laughs> there's some rubber balls you need to stop trying to juggle and, 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 and really hold on to these glass balls. Now, there's, there's some real glass balls like your family, your health, um, <clears throat> What else? I don't know. Those are, the, those are some serious glass balls. But also your relationship with God. That's a glass ball. That's not something you can just leave. And I think sometimes when it comes to our relationship with God, we think that uh, we, we know that Jesus loves us. We know that God is full of grace and forgiveness. And we almost abuse that. 
We say, oh, I don't need to worry about it. God will forgive me. Oh, I don't need to worry about it. God is a God of grace and love. And, and, and I get all that. And, and I don't want to push this too hard. But, but, but there's, a, there's a truth that, you know what? We, we're just letting that glass ball drop. It is serious. He wants us to rebuild the temple. Now you say, well, we're not in the Old Testament. Absolutely we're not. And God doesn't want us. We don't physically need to pick up bricks to build the temple anymore. But check out this. We don't do that, but we have something far greater. Rather, in Jesus, we are the temple. Look at these passages here up on the screen. 1 Corinthians. Um, it says this. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst, among you? Now, generally we read that one, we think of ourselves personally, individually being the temple. You know, your body is a temple, therefore do not eat that nougat, Peter. Or, 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 and and there's, there's truth to that, that the Holy Spirit lives in us and takes up residence in us and our body individually is th- th- this temple. But that's specifically referring to more of us as a body of believers. We are his temple. We are that, this, that, that he dwells amongst us, the Spirit dwells in the midst and we are to reflect that in our community. Look at this in First Peter, another beautiful passage. But you are a chosen people. How do, how do a chosen people live? A royal priesthood, a holy nation. We, the church, this is talking about the church, not the Israel. A holy nation, God's special possession. And that you may declare the, the praises of him. What are we to do? To declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people... But now you are the people of God. Once you'd not received mercy, but now you received mercy. We're not to be a distracted people. We're not to be a distracted people. We're to be temple builders, kingdom builders. The things of this world will throw so many rubber balls at you. And some of those rubber balls aren't bad, but we don't want to be distracted. We're temple builders, kingdom builders. I had a person ring me um, this week. Actually, was it this week? Yeah, it might have been this week. Uh, I didn't know who it was, just out of the blue. I did not know this person. I, I shouldn't have answered it, although I should have answered it because it was the right thing to answer. I'm not saying I screen your calls, by the way, but I might if it depends who you are. Anyway... <laughs> The, name, uh, the, the number came up, I'm like, oh, I don't know. Sometimes I get Siobhan to answer those ones. So I answered it, and it was this person who was on the phone. She's like, you don't know who I am, but someone that you know and I know, I, I, I really appreciate it if you would follow them up or, or visit them because they don't know Jesus. I'm like, why can't you do it? I was thinking that in my head, why can't you do it? Gosh, you know. But this person was that concerned for their friend who doesn't know Jesus. They live further north up South Geraldton. Um, but her, their concern was, please, can you contact this person? This person respects you. They need to know about Jesus. They, they've kind of gone off a little bit. And I'm thinking, initially I was like frustrated that I answered the call. 
But then after about 15 minutes, she talked a lot. Um, her heart and her passion was kingdom building, was temple building. They're like, you should be concerned about this person. I'm so concerned, I'm going to ring you up. I don't know who you are, and I'm going to ask you this random question. It takes a bit of guts to do that, doesn't it? But that was her heart. For her, it was a glass ball. For her, it was a glass ball. It wasn't telling people about Jesus or seeing her friends come into the kingdom of God. It's not a rubber ball. And so she said, can you please? And here's the thing. I don't, and I, I, I say this with my mouth, but my actions don't always demonstrate this. I don't want to stand before God. And he says, hey, Anthony, what did you do? How did you live? And I say, well, you should see the panelling of my house. That's good. He doesn't care about that. He wants to know what I did with, with firstly with him and, and, and what I did to tell others and, and my character and how I was transformed and moulded and shaped to become more like him. That's what he wants to hear. And I spend so much time juggling these other rubber balls that don't really matter, that don't matter if they hit the ground. Well, at the end of the day, Jesus is going to ask me these other questions. What did you do with the glass ones? Where were your priorities? And so I wanted him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. And as a body, that's what we want. Lakeside, what did you do? How did you go? We ran a great rec centre. Our worship leader used a little guitar. Someone like that. They're not the big questions, are they? They're gonna, he's going to want, what, Lisa, what did you do with my message? We look at that passage. We were, we were, we were a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We've gone from light to dark. We weren't a people, but now we're a people. We've received mercy. How do, have, we, have we shown others that mercy? How are we telling people, others about that mercy? Are you juggling these rubber balls and dropping these glass ones? A couple of weeks ago, I was in the foyer and there was a, a young guy who plays in our lightning basketball team and he was talking to me and I've asked him numerous times, he's got this injury and I've asked him numerous times how this injury is going. You know, you're seeing a physio, you're, you're doing all the right things, yep, yep, yep. And God was saying, Anthony, you've seen him three or four times, you haven't even prayed for him. I'm like, you want me to pray for him now? This is what I'm thinking in my head. It's in the foyer and I don't want to embarrass him. Yeah, pray for him now. And so, so again, I had to just build up the courage. Why? Because I want to be a kingdom builder. I could have just said it's not the right time. It's in the foyer, people everywhere. It's not the right time, God. It's not the right season for this prayer. And so I just said to the young guy, I said, is it okay if I pray for you with this? And you know what he said? He said, yeah, I'd love you to. And I prayed and, and, and I asked that God would heal him. Now, I don't know what would happen to that prayer, but that's not the point. The point is that's the focus we should have all the time. We want to be kingdom builders, temple builders. We don't just want to run a rec centre. We don't just want to have a basketball. And we, and we get caught in that cycle. We get distracted. Temple builders. 
I was having lunch with a, 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 a non-Christian guy probably, a, I don't know, a couple of months ago. And um, I was sitting there with him and, and a God said I needed to share my testimony. And I'm thinking, man, I just want to have lunch. He was paying. Can't we enjoy this? And I knew that's where it was going because he kind of rang me out of the blue, come and have lunch. And I'm thinking, he said he would pay. I'm like, oh, this must be a God thing. Um, I didn't want to. I'm just, my heart was I didn't want to. I'm not saying this to post or anything. I just didn't want to. Like, I just don't want to, Lord. Now, I, I did. I shared my testimony. But why? Why didn't I want to? Glass balls, Anthony. Temple, kingdom. It's so easy to get distracted. So easy to become unfocused. I was sharing, Siobhan was sharing with me recently inside our um, program, our lightning program. And this, is, this is horrible. Uh, yeah, it is horrible. The m- amount of young girls in particular that have uh, self-harming mental illness, mental health illness, that are self-harming 14, 13, 15 year old girls. This is a common thing that we're finding. Even I'm sure all the schools, if you're in a school, you would know about it. But it's even filtering down to, to the point where us as a sporting club, us, us as the Lakeside Lightning, are one of, the, one of the things that are needed to help. And that's a, that's a privilege and an honour that we have that voice to be able to speak into that. But I was thinking about it and we were reflecting on it and we're going to look at ways of helping and getting professional. But we need Jesus in there. Don't we? And I'm not saying that Jesus, hear me, I've, I've had mental health issues as well, so I'm not saying that, oh, you get Jesus and all your mental health things are gone. That's not what I'm saying. But as a community that, that is following Jesus Christ, we want to bring Jesus into those situations. Not just palm them off and say, oh, go and speak to a psychologist, which they need to, and get medical treatment. Absolutely. But we journey with them and we bring Jesus into those situations. Why? Because we are building a temple, a kingdom, God's kingdom. Not ours, not panel houses, not the best rec centre just for being the best rec centre, but God's kingdom. What or how are your priorities? Do you have any priorities that have gone a little bit AWOL that you need to drop some rubber ones and pick up? the glass ones. Let's look at verse 5. I think you're going to have to go back, Aaron. Sorry, I put it in the wrong order. There it is there, verse 5. So, so Jesus, uh, Jesus, God says uh, that they don't have time to build the temple. Then he says, well, you have time to build your own houses. How does that work? And then he, then he goes again, strong words. Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. So he says, Consider this, people. You have planted much, but have harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. Sounds like my kids. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages, only to put them into your purse or your pockets with holes in them. What is he saying? You're never satisfied, basically. 
you can't quench that first. Then he says, this is what you need to do. Give careful thought. Again, consider your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring down timber and build the house. So build the temple so uh, that I might take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expect much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains in ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. So actually God is saying, some of the reasons why you suffer is because of me. That might sound controversial, and that might sound not very good for church attendance. But God is saying, the reason why you are not satisfied, the reason why sometimes uh, things don't go to plan, is because you're not following me, and I'm allowing that to deliberately happen. Is that what happens all the time? No, but in this situation, God is clearly saying that. And in some ways, he's also saying there's a consequence to your actions. If you choose to live like this, if you choose to juggle these rubber balls and drop the glass balls, family or husband, wife or relationships, there's consequences. They break. Because of my house, uh, which remains in ruin while each of you is busy doing your own house. Then he says this, therefore, because of uh, you, the heavens have withheld their dew and and the earth its crops. So there was drought. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains and the grain and the new wine and the olive olive oil. And whatever the ground produces on people and cattle and on the labor of your hands. What is God saying there? He says, consider your ways basically first. Look at what you're doing. Look at how you're living. Look at the balls that you're juggling. He says, you drink and you're not, you're not filled. You sow much and, and it brings in little. You eat, but you don't have enough. You clothe, but you're not warm. You get money in and it just whoop goes straight out. What is he saying? He says, misplaced priorities always lead to unsatisfactory lifestyle. You're chasing all these things. God, uh, God's people to consider what direction, he says, what direction your life is doing, what are you focusing on? You're chasing all those things. It is going to be empty. And in fact, some of the things that you've had, I've actually caused because you haven't built my house. Each accomplishment soon reveals that there, is, uh, there must be something more, something that can really satisfy Nothing feels that, you would have heard this, it's a little bit cliche, that that kind of God-shaped void. Now you may have said yes to Jesus and you become a Christian, but when we're out and we're focusing on self, there's still something missing, is what he's saying. You still don't have enough. You're still not warm. You're uh, You're still thirsty. You still don't have enough money. And that's real, isn't it? You know what that's like. Our society is built on that. Advertising is built on that. You need this, you need this, you need this. You're not satisfied. You need more, you need more, you need more. In fact, we're going to design your phones to break every two years because you've got to get a new one. And God, this is, this is what God says. If you, if you keep chasing those things, you're just juggling these plastic balls. Let's keep reading verse 12. So he's, he's just hit them with the two big hammers. And then he says this. Then, then we see them respond. 
Then Zerubbabel, son of that guy, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant, so all the people, obeyed the voice. So they responded in obedience. Now, this is quite rare because generally we continue to make excuses, but they actually respond. They hear this time and they think, you're right. They obey the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai because the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message to the Lord, uh, to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So he says, now I'm with you. I'm not going to leave you. Uh, so the Lord uh, stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel. Why do they have to keep saying it's the son of that guy? Governor of Judah and the spirit of Joshua, son of Zerubbabel, the high priest, and, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came. They began to work on the house, began to rebuild the temple of the Lord Almighty with their God on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Julius, which was the king of Persia. So they actually responded. And we're going to, as we go into a little bit more, we're going to see what happens. We're going to see that real link between the temple and, and, and following God through this physical act of rebuilding the temple. Guess what? It's an indicator of something that has happened, the spiritual act, the spiritualize their devotion towards God. So how do you go when you hear that voice? When you hear God say, you're, you're juggling the wrong balls, you're juggling the rubber ones at the expense of the glass ones. It's easy just to dismiss it. I know I do that lots. It's easy to make excuses and say, yeah, but you don't understand. How do we go? Do we respond like the people here of Israel and uh, they respond in obedience? Or do we make more excuses and get more distracted? We're going to take communion. Actually, it's, it's actually really good timing, I suppose, that we would take communion on this first sermon on the book of Haggai. Because as we take it this morning, we, we, I want us to almost, if God has spoken to you in the sense of your priorities, misplaced priorities, I want us to confess that this morning. Just confess and say, God, I have had misplaced priorities. I put my faith and my time and my energy on these things and their rubber balls. I need to focus on the glass balls, my relationship with you. Maybe it's a bit broader than that, my family, my health, I don't know, but, but firstly and primarily my relationship with you. Before we eat this, each single day, when we get up, we're given a set number of coins. If you look at each day, let's say we get 10 coins each day. Every single day we get to use those coins. We might not use them, but every time we do something, whether it go to work, there's a coin, whether it's spend time with this person, it's a coin, whether it's shopping, that's a coin, uh, whether it's uh, watch TV, that's a coin. And once we've given up those coins, we, we can't get them back. And if we don't use them, it, that we can't save them up. The next morning, we start again with a, the same amount of coins to do whatever we want with them. 
We can't save them up. We can't ask for them back. We just get the same amount of coins every morning. The question is, once you, you, you've spent those coins, you can't spend them differently. The question is, how do you spend those coins? Do we act wisely? It was not wise for me to spend two hours watching Greatest Marks in the AFL. It wasn't wise. It just wasn't. It put me back for the next few days. But I couldn't get them back because there were coins that I gave up. And what gets harder is sometimes it's not a matter... It's actually really easy to think when it's spending your coins on something good compared to something bad. What gets harder is discerning when it's something good with something that's best. So sometimes it means we don't spend our coin on something that actually is quite good because we're choosing best over good. Does that make sense? Because we want to have an eternal investment. I can't remember, Peter's father thing talked about legacy making. So that's the stuff we want to be spending our coins on. There's stuff that needs to happen in the day. But Jesus talks about making an eternal investment. And so as we come to communion this morning, two things. As we remember Jesus' death on the cross, as we remember the price that he pays so that we may have life, so that we may go from light, uh, from darkness to light, we thank him for that. But also we evaluate where we are at this morning. So before you eat the bread, I want you to do that. If there's a sin that you need to confess, confess it. If there's a misplaced priority, confess it. So I'm going to ask you to do that now in the stillness of your own heart. We're going to spend a little bit of time doing that. And then I'll speak and we will drink together. First Peter says, you're a chosen people. Now this is all. The only reason we're any of these things is because of the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. You're a chosen people. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Wow. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. When we drink this, when we eat the bread, we're remembering the fact that once we weren't the people of God, but now we are the people of God, that once we didn't receive mercy, now we have received mercy. And we don't want to be distracted people. We want to be kingdom people, temple builders, 
kingdom builders. And so when we drink this, that's what we are saying. Thank you, Jesus, but help us to be those types of people. Let's drink together. Most gracious Father, we thank you. We thank you for your son, Jesus, for the price that he paid so that we could go from darkness to light, so that we could have life everlasting. Father, I ask and pray that we would be a people individually and collectively as your temple here in this community, that we would be people who build your kingdom. Lord, that we wouldn't be distracted people. And Father, life can become so busy. There's so many balls to juggle. Fathers, help us to live in the freedom to know that some of those balls can just drop. They don't matter. Give us the wisdom, though, to know which ones are the glass balls that really do matter. And help us to focus on those. Help us to make sure we're juggling those correctly, Lord. Father, we want to be people who build your kingdom here in the way we speak to people, the way we share the gospel, the way we care for people, the way we reflect you here on a Sunday, but also during the week in our homes, in our schools, our universities, our workplaces, down at the local shopping centre, or wherever we are, that we would reflect you. Lord, if your spirit prompts us to pray, that we would pray. If your spirit prompts us to share our story, we'll do that. If your spirit calls us to buy a meal for someone, if your spirit asks us to to encourage someone, if your spirit says invite them to church, Lord, whatever your spirit calls us to do, that we would do that, that we wouldn't say, oh, now is not the right time. That you would give us that power and that, that courage to do so. We ask and pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. How about we stand now?